Beatball time. Oh, beatball time. That's what's up. Welcome. Hello. It's been yes. a, it's been a week and a half since the last special. podcast for people who special don't listen. <laughs> but um, the end of the season for EPL wrapped up on Sunday. And we thought it would be a fun slash terrible idea to have seven guys who support the top teams come on there and kind of discuss <laughs> um, what they thought their team did this season. So. Uh, yeah, so we'll do introductions kind of as we go. We're going to start with uh, lowest in the table, which is me and uh, and Arsenal, who we finished eighth this year. Uh, so setting setting records because we haven't finished outside of the top six for like 20, 20 years, 25 years. I don't know. It's It's been a while. Um, very, very humbling experience, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, the Unai Emery era proved to be a complete and utter disaster, which, uh, you know, was pretty evident after maybe the first half of the season, but, uh, we, we opted to, uh, roll on with it anyways. And, uh, you know, I mean, for me, you know, having, uh, locked up the FA cup yesterday and earning, you know, uh, a spot in the Europa league group stages, I mean, it's still, the season is just, I mean, I don't think any, there, I don't think there's any reasonable Arsenal fan who would call this season a success. I think uh, you look at it and it was, there was a disaster, you know, all the way around, um, you know, the first half of a season. It, I mean, it just felt like Unai Emery never really, just, it didn't feel like he ever really had the locker room. I don't think he ever really had the support of the players. Uh, I, I, I just don't think there was a lot of trust there and I don't think the fans trusted him. There just didn't seem to be any uh, semblance of a of a clear cut plan for us, and so um, I think we were all kind of relieved when he was let when he was let go. I think a lot a lot of fans felt like he was the wrong appointment to begin with, uh, and we've seen this with a few different clubs. You know, we saw it with United after Fergie left. Uh, you know, uh, and bringing in uh, David Moyes and kind of going through some of their struggles. We're seeing a little bit with Spurs and uh, you know post Pochettino and. Uh, even though there weren't any trophies there, I mean, they obviously made it to the Champions League final. You know, they were in the hunt, you know, for that, you know, top four, top two. And uh, I mean, and even in the in the race for the title one year, but we're seeing some of their struggles with Marino. And so it kind of really underlies the, the point of how important it is to get that next managerial decision right. Uh, we did not. Um, but uh, after appointing Arteta, after getting rid of Unai I think... Uh, there's been a lot of positivity, uh, that not necessarily in terms of results, um, because I think there was the statistic uh, since Arteta's been appointed that we've dropped the most points from winning positions out of any team. is like 15 points or something. And, and I think that that's obviously not a, a positive thing by any stretch, but at the same time, I think it speaks more to Arteta at least had the team organized enough to where we were in positions to win games uh even if the personnel maybe couldn't see that all the way through and there's no doubt that i think uh arteta probably was making the most out of kind of like what he had to work with and i mean there's certain you know there's certain pieces to that i mean obviously Aubameyang, uh you know carried the team the majority of the year um you know pepe and lacazette kind of contributed here and there uh, but Saka coming on, uh, Martinelli coming on, kind of strong, like helped carry us through a couple of games. And 
you know, I mean, there's still positives to be drawn from the year, but I think that uh, we're all really happy to kind of like see it go and see it be done with and happy to be moving on to uh, next season. And, and hopefully we'll see um, Arteta get the backing that he probably deserves to try and get the team back into, you know, uh, Champions League contention. But, uh, yeah, man, I, will, I won't – there's, I don't think there's anything that I'm going to miss about this year. I mean, you know, winning, winning the FA Cup yesterday was great, but there's, there's, I don't think there's anything that I'm going to look back on too super fondly other than, other than appointing Arteta. I think he's a good manager. I think he'll prove to be a good manager and he'll be good for the club. But, uh, yeah, kind of a, kind of a wash, wash of a year for us, I think, in my opinion. Do you think you guys uh, keep Ozil? Uh, I mean, I think the club wants to move him on. I think whether or not they can find somewhere to move him on is another story. The whole situation has been really strange just because prior to uh, prior to quarantine and COVID and like the extended break and stuff, he was starting pretty much every game since Arteta took over. And then post-COVID, that changed, and we don't really know why. We don't know if it's tied to his, you know, him refusing to take the the pay cut without knowing where the money was going, you know, in terms of, you know, Arsenal asking all their players to take that cut or whatever. I mean, we don't really have any idea. And all signs kind of pointed to that. It seems like he and Arteta still have a good relationship. And so there's kind of a lot of question marks there. We don't really know whether it was simply a system issue. He couldn't, you know, perform in obviously playing in a, in a five at the back system. And so, uh, you know, maybe or three at the back, three slash five. And so maybe it was, you know, tactical to just, you know, leave him out or if it was trying to avoid bonuses that he has in his contract or simply because the board is trying to move him on. But regardless of what the, the situation is, um, I mean, something has to be done because he's making a lot of money. And so uh, if he's going to be at the club, then he needs to be playing. He needs to be playing some amount of minutes because as you know with as good as some of the young guys coming through were like we had no creativity in the final third whatsoever it was basically you know try and get it to you know Pepe, Aubameyang, soccer whatever you know get it to the end line cut back and create something and and, you know and hope that those guys you know can punch it in and it it worked to a certain degree but there was no creative uh, force in the midfield Uh, Ceballos hasn't proved to be that like he's I think Ceballos has, has come a long ways I think he's improved a lot in his performances, but he's not, he's not going to create a, a plethora of chances for you. So um, if Ozil's on the way out, that means they need to bring a creative midfielder in. If he's staying at the club, I think they need to find a way to try and use him even in a substitutes role or rotating through Europa league and, and FA cup and that stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really have any idea what, what's actually going to happen there. Nice. So everyone, I, sorry, I just muted everyone so that it's kind of getting staticky. But if you want to talk, just go ahead and mute it and then mute it back just so it kind of gets a little bit clearer. Um, one question I think I'll ask everybody is, who is your ideal signing of the summer? Like, no limits? Picking no, one out. Yeah. And then who is, like, your realistic signing? Like, who do you think you guys would actually sign? And who would be, like, your dream signing? Right. right. With Arsenal, I don't really know because it – I don't have any idea how much money they're going to have, which is seemingly not a lot. And with this new approach to uh, like uh, like 
payment plans like we've done with Pepe. Who knows what they're going to try and like pull out of their ass pretty much to try and like get in somebody that they want. Um, I mean, I think some of the players that we've been linked to would be both ideal and semi-realistic. Like if they could get Thomas Party from Atletico somehow um, and add that kind of steal to midfield, I think he would be great. I mean, I, I think that's kind of what we need. Uh, you know, I don't really know who's realistic from a, from a center-back point of view. You know, I know Amtiti from Barcelona has been linked because he's supposedly on the way out, but he's been linked, you know, with a lot of clubs. Um, Gabriel from Lille, I think, has been linked, uh, you know, as, a, as another young center-back. We, we already have William Saliba coming in from Saint-Étienne in the French League, and I think he'll help things a lot. But, um, you know, realistically, we need, we need a, a couple players in midfield probably. We need you know, probably one more, you know, at the back somewhere. And then, it, I mean, really the biggest signing would be, you know, being able to extend Aubameyang's contract. I mean, that's kind of the ideal. Like, we, I think we have to have him. And, and if he goes out, then we have to try and find somebody to help supplement the goals that he provides. Because I don't know that Pepe or Lacazette, you know, even as a focal point are going are gonna, to, you know, now us 20 to 25 goals a year. So that's me. Awesome. Does, all right. Does anybody have any questions for the Arsenal supporter? Uh, yeah. What, um, oh, go ahead. Um, I was say, Cody, um, you mentioned about Ozil. Yeah. And in terms of replacement, how much do you actually mm-hmm. play? Especially since Arteta came in. So in terms of a replacement, would you really call it a replacement? Because from, from what I was seeing, Ozil right. really didn't play. Especially so he did, so he did play six months. So this is the, sure, and that's part of the interesting part to me is that, so he didn't play that much, and he was still one of our top chance creators in the squad. So the fact that he played maybe half of our games, but he was still, I mean, I think at the end of the year, he finished maybe like second in the squad to Pepe in terms of chances created or something along those lines. And then I was I was looking at chances created across the Premier League, and like when you scale it out, so he he finished somewhere that like, I mean, you know, way down low, but if you had scaled him to playing like the equal games as some of the players, for example, at the top, he would have, he would have basically ended up ranking somewhere in the top, like, uh, like six to 10 players in terms of chances created in the premier league. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a tough, it's kind of a tough subject because he definitely didn't play a lot, but when he, but the numbers suggest that when he played, he was still creating chances for, you know, those guys in the front three. And so it's kind of like, I understand why you know people have their problems with him. I understand that people don't appreciate his body language, or you know you can question his work rate. But even that's been proved to be kind of like a little bit bogus or whatever. But like to me, you still like you have to replace him because in terms of like we weren't creating chances without him, and like even though he only played half the season, he was still one of your top chance creators. So either either you play him and you get that out of him or you find somebody to come in and do it instead because we didn't actually replace that. So we ended up playing this kind of like sit deep and, and counter and, you know, and attack down the wings and, and get to the end line. And then, you know, you're creating chances with your fullbacks, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but to me, you have to have something beyond that, especially when you're playing against teams that are going to sit in a deep block and they're going to pack it in, in and around the area. You have to have somebody who can kind of unlock that somehow. Makes sense. Uh, Jason, you had something you were going to say? Yeah, I was going to uh, – so, you know, I think Aubameyang pretty clearly 
been the brightest spot for your guys' season. I can I can see on one hand the the want to extend him, but do you worry at his age that kind of the money he's going to ask for could end up being kind of an Ozil type situation a year or two down the line where you're stuck with somebody you can't move on and you're not able sure. to write your spot up. Sure, and I think there's so I think there's a fine line there because I think it depend really depends on what other teams would be willing to offer to take him off our hands. Because I think he probably has because of the because of the way that he's built where he's literally he's just a pure finisher and he has elite level pace. So even in two years, even if his pace drops, he's still gonna be at the higher end of ability to get behind a back line compared to, you know, certain other you know, other players or other types of forwards. Um, but I think it depends on what other clubs are willing to offer because with a year left, you would imagine that the offers aren't going to be super high because clubs will be willing to let him just run down his contract over the next year and then take him on a free next year, which is kind of, you know, obviously that's part and parcel for Arsenal. We don't, you know, we don't like to get ahead of the game. We, we like to just, you know, basically fly by the seat of our pants and risk it. Um, so I think, I think if they can sign him, you know, to, to a two plus one, you know, year, you know, deal or something, you know, even if they're, I, supposedly it's rumored he's asking 250, 250 K. And to me, if you can get two more years out of him at this level, I think that would be huge for the club in terms of like con- trying to continue to transition upwards. Uh, Do you think he's signed a contract that short? Or, I mean, like this is the kind of the age I feel like a lot of players want that, like, trying to squeeze for like a four or five year deal absolutely yeah I, and i think that's probably the trick and i and i think even at 250k i, I would imagine that being the, the cheap club that arsenal have tended to be kind of with with few exceptions they would probably try and set, you know sign him to some you know incentive laden deal where okay if you if you hit 20 goals here's your you know here's your your big boost at the end of the year or whatever it is so i think it's hard to say you know what they're actually willing to give him but I think you know there's there's a few factors where you look at okay even if you were able to sell him on for say 40 million right or or something in that range you know who are you going to go get for that same amount of money who is going to immediately replace those goals because if Arsenal's goal is to get back in the top 4 get back into Champions League and having the you know that type of money being injected back into the club you're going to you're going to have to replace those goals you know quickly you can't you can't afford to wait sit and wait for a year or two with without a, a primary score so um you know i think there's some big question marks like in my opinion i think he'd, i think it'd be worth it to to resign even if even if you have trouble moving him on later like if you're if you are ultimately able to transition the club back into top four contention over the next say two years under arteta and and Aubameyang is the guy to help get you there then then maybe it's easier to subsidize some of the loss you might take there uh you know, by improving your, your current, uh, you know, your current standards and things or, you know, or in the league. So that, that's me though. What's your thought on David Luiz? I, 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 I really wish we hadn't signed him to another year long deal. Yeah. You know, he he looks decent in a three back. So yeah, David's kind of a tough one because he, he either, he either plays like, like a top center back in the league or he, he plays like, absolute garbage and you know and there's no there's no gray area in between really he's either you know giving up a penalty and and getting sent off or he's you know you know he's you know playing a really strong game and and distributing well and you know we've seen you know some of the passing that he can create out of the back is really phenomenal 
but uh, I kind of wish that that they would have that they would have gone another direction. But you know, I mean, that's all that's all done now. So I mean, we'll we'll deal with it next year. And I mean, I, I'll be curious to see how much he starts because when we restarted, Pablo Mari seems to be the preferred choice on that left side of the defense. So um, I'll be curious to see when everybody's healthy how much time David is actually getting. But yeah, is what it is now. Last question, sure. real quick, before we go on to I believe our Tottenham fan. Wolves, no, come uh, on. Wolves, hey, Wolves. <laughs> starting 11, September 13th. Oh, for us? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't have I, – I mean, I couldn't begin to guess. Um, I mean, I would probably say Martinez in goal, Hector at right back. Um, if he's healthy, probably Saliba um, along with David Luiz at left center back, Tierney at uh, left back. Um, probably Xhaka, Ceballos in midfield with a third midfielder. And then um, I'm going to say Lacazette, Aubameyang, Pepe up front. Um, I think we're probably I think we're probably keeping both Lacazette and Aubameyang. My guess is they keep Aubameyang whether they, whether they re-sign him or not. They'd probably rather get that last year out of him and hope that, you know, we can, we can bump up to the top four than, than shift him for, for probably not quite what they feel like he's worth. So. All right. Something similar to what we've seen already. Perfect. All right, Reese, I believe it's your turn. Sweet. Uh, yeah, so I'm Reese, um, born and raised in Wolverhampton, uh, former season ticket holder uh, for many years through my childhood. Traveled home and away, watched the not so glory years uh, for Wolves. Then I moved out here in 2012. Shoot, no. I actually, just. Uh, so, um, in terms of our season, um, if you asked me 12 months ago, um, we'll finish the top seven, I'll take your hand up right now. Um, however, with four or five games to go, and we're in touch and distance of champ. <laughs> Looks like... Reese froze. You pause it. No, I, he just froze, I think, but he's back. I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, you just cut out there in the last second. You're good. Oh, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> as of yesterday, after Arsenal won the FA Cup, um, now we don't even qualify for the Europa League unless we somehow miraculously win the Europa League, which... Not like it's not doable, but it's a big ask with the team still left in the competition. Um, so, I mean, kind of disappointed in that aspect, um, being so close to qualifying for Champions League with four games to go. And then I think Nuno got it wrong against Arsenal, Chelsea last game of the season, Burnley. Um, even with the last minute decision, regardless if you think it was a, the right or wrong call, we put ourselves in that position. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of disappointing, but at the same time, you look back at the, this last year, again, if this time last year someone said to me, you'll finish in the top seven for the second year running, two years having just been promoted for the championship, you take your hand, you, I'd take the hand, your hand for it now. Um, so, it's kind of bittersweet, really, I think. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the summer or what a summer we will have um, with the players that they're going to look maybe look to bring in 
you're going to probably ask me who do I expect or who do I think I have no clue um, since Wolves got bought out by um, the ownership now um, three four years ago now well, four or five years ago now I should say um, the signings we've made like is kind of ridiculous really like signing Diogo Jardin and Ruben Neves and Willy Bolly in the championship like it's crazy like then you then you rock up into the, into Premier League and you sign in Rahimanez, Giamatinho, uh, Rubatricio, like obviously the big Portuguese influx with the ownership and the contacts they have. Um, so it's going to be interesting regardless. Um, I don't know who they're going to. The, the signings they've made are kind of crazy. The rumours we get rumoured to be signing is just even even crazier. So I like take them with a pinch of salt really because. You don't, I don't even know what to expect now. Um, especially growing up, used to watching a four-four-two when it's just get it out wide and smack it in the box, get your head on it. With the likes of like with playing with like Dave Jones and Mick McCarthy as a manager. Um, now we're playing a three-four-three or a three-five-two of some variation with the likes of Adam Traore and Raheem Jimenez up top with Ruben Neves and Jamatini in the middle pulling strings. It's just like it's a different world. Um, so. I have no idea what to expect um, within the summer. Um, like I said, bittersweet season for us, I think, um, overall. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for me, really. With that. Uh, um, I think that's probably the easy. With that. Uh, say again? I said with Raul, I mean, Raul Jimenez already on his way out. Who, who would you see being his replacement? Honestly, I don't see Raul even. For a number of reasons. He's just had a baby. He's very settled. He actually lives like in a small little town in Wolverhampton where the training facility is, where a lot of players live. Wolves aren't in a position where they have to sell. If anyone's going to buy anyone from Wolves like Jimenez, Traore, they're going to have to pay more than a premium and they don't have to sell. I thought I'd already saw that. They're not after no, he hasn't been sold yet, but okay. I, I would imagine a lot of that probably hinges on how the rest of Europa League plays out too. Because if you win Europa League, you're not you're actually into Champions League next year, yeah. right? So, so then you're talking a larger influx of of cash, hopefully for Wolves. And and I mean, I know what you're saying about you know you feel like it's long odds, but I think with the way that Wolves have performed in a lot of games this year, I mean, I think they have as good a chance as, as anybody that's left there. Um, you know, I mean, it's a it's a big ask, no doubt. But uh, you know, if you guys end up in a situation like that where you're qualifying for Champions League, does that? I mean, obviously, that would obviously I would assume change your outlook on on even further on how this season's played out, right? Yeah, big time. I mean, if somehow we we do qualify, like I mean, it'd be a big ask. I mean, we got if we if we beat Olympiacos in the third in the the second leg of the game, we then play either Seville or Roma. So it's like over one over one game, it's a big ask. Then if you qualify for that, I think I think we'd, we'd be due to play the winner of the United game, um, whoever they have on their side of their bracket. I mean, it's a big ask. Never say never, um, but it would change. I think the biggest thing I think really would be what players would come in if we were to. Balls have used twenty players all season in the league. Two of them are no longer at the club. So it's like we've got 18 players in the books that have actually played in a league. Nuno plays with a very small squad, and I think that's probably been some of the downfall of the season. 
with a lot of with a lot of games, the small squad is, is big ask. And I've also been playing for over over a year. Yeah. Our first qualifying game was July something or other now. By that point, we'd already travelled to China and played pre-season um, amongst other places. So, Wolves' season is going to be over over 400 days, basically, I think it is, uh, by the time we actually finish the Europa League. Um, so, so, I think, I actually think not qualifying will be a blessing in disguise um, because of the size of the squad, or lack of, should I say. Um, Investment-wise, said, Go out wise, I think it's going to be it's going to take a considerable amount of money, like ridiculous amounts of money for anyone to buy Jimenez and and or Traore or anyone else. Wolves aren't a club that will sell players now. Um, they are very smart in what they do, especially from what I saw growing up as a kid um, and how it just it was literally just buy a player. Oh, we can make an extra ten mil very quickly on this. Let's sell him gone. Now it's a case of they're not in a position where they have to sell. So if anybody does want to buy them, like obviously there are rumours with United. I don't think he'll go to United. I think he'll just go anywhere. They'll either go back to Spain uh, or somewhere else in Europe. I don't think he would carry on in, in England, in, in my opinion, with Jimenez. Um, I think the, the rumours were United. I think United get linked with anyone that's done very well, to be, to be honest, um, in the last three or four years anyone that's had a great season the top four teams in every league are always rumoured with them it's kind of lazy journalism um, I don't think he'll I, I, in my opinion I don't think he would leave um, I don't think he'd even want to leave to be honest um, from what we see around the club and I mean he's very active on social media um, he's just got a new family now got multiple dogs and they look pretty settled and the way they do things in the, the club themselves have changed dramatically in the last six years um, like I said from me when I was watching them home and away completely different club I got to go back 18 months or two years ago now and watch them and the club in itself from being in the stands and then also just seeing being around it it's it's night and day the club is um, so I think I'd be very surprised if you see those those big players should we call them leave anytime soon even if the, even if even if we don't qualify for any sort of European competition when you when you attract the likes of Ruben Neves Diogo Jada Willy Bolly in the championship and paying not that many all things considering um, I, 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 that's my opinion they might have another, another opinion but I don't think I'd be, I'd be very surprised anyway fair enough any questions for the Wolverhampton fan supporter? All right, sweet. All right. Then we're going to go up the table. I'll get it right this time. Tottenham. <laughs> go ahead, Jason. Uh, yeah, not too far up the table, sadly, for us. But, um, yeah, I think I'm kind of, we're kind of in an opposite. Oh, real quick, introduce myself. I'm Jason Yerg. Uh, I've been a Tottenham fan for right about 17 years now. Uh, I started the Portland Supporters Club uh, with a friend of ours, Andy Palmquist, uh, in 2013, and, and I'm less involved directly in it, but I know Cody through Twitter and interacting with him and uh, usually good-natured spats about Arsenal and Tottenham and, and other things. But, um, yeah, I think we're, I'm kind of in, a, we're, we're in like the opposite of Reese and Wolverhampton, where if you would have told us, 
on the heels of losing the Champions League final last year that we'd be finishing in six by like a hair and squeaking our way maybe into Europa through the play-in rounds, uh, I would have been crushed. But um, if you then, if you told me in November or December when things were really, really starting to crumble and, and Pochettino was getting fired that we would be able to kind of shoot up the table that much and um, and maybe not, not do it in the most glamorous fashion at, the, at various points on the Mourinho, but um, it, that we were able to get back into European places and, and kind of finish the season strongly despite our injuries and, and all the craziness with, you know, what's going on with the league in the world. Uh, I'd probably be pretty thrilled by that. Um, so it's, it's, I wouldn't say there's a good feeling going around in the Tottenham world right now or for myself, but it's, it's a, it's a slight better relief. And, um, you know, there's a real split camp between how people feel about Mourinho and um, going forward with him kind of building, you know, it's clear we need a rebuild. And I think uh, I'm not personally thrilled by having him having the keys to the rebuild. Um, I, I'm not the biggest anti Mourinho person either, but it, it's, I would kind of rather somebody like a Nuno, uh, you know, a younger, more proactive or progressive manager to, be building the team around him. Maybe a Pochettino uh, would have been nice to have uh, to actually back and uh, give the players he wanted. But uh, it is what it is now, and I think it, it's time to you know if if, if we're going to do it, we need to give him the players he wants. And um, I, I think in the last handful of games, we've shown that you know we can grind out some wins. We can also play some you know at times attractive counterattacking football like in the Leicester game and at points of the Arsenal game but uh, yeah it, it's been kind of a slog and I'm really happy to see the back end of it and there's been a lot of heartbreak with losing Poch and um, losing Christian Eriksen and uh, Jan Vertonghen moving on uh, it, it's a it's a you know we're it, it's, we're still miles beyond where I've ever expected to see Tottenham when I first started following him but uh, it, it's, it felt like a definite step back when it felt like we were on the precipice of kind of pushing on to something bigger. Um, but I don't think all is lost. I think we're still, as a club, in a very good position to kick on. Um, but it's going to be really tricky given the circumstances of the world right now. You know, a lot of the income that we're going to be there and we have to be kind of crafty. And, um, so in that regard, I, I'm... I think Mourinho could be good at the moment because he can get some ugly wins with whoever he has, and, and we're going to need that, I think, for this season at least coming up. And, um, you know, uh, one of the other bright sides I'm, I'm seeing is I, I really like what's happening in terms of how we're uh, dealing with the youth now. We're under Pochettino. He had a weird thing where he didn't like to loan players out, and he didn't like to give them a lot of chances in the first team. So a lot of players like Kyle Walker-Peters – Marcus Edwards and a lot of the players that seem to have a lot of promise, Troy Parrott, um, just kind of stagnated. And, and they're developed. Josh Anama, who's at full now, was one that seemed like he was going to be something for us. And um, pretty quickly under Mourinho, we seem to have chopped out a lot of the dead weight in terms of our players that weren't contributing. And we, you know, we're trying to squeeze top dollar out of them. We're also now seeing a lot of our younger players go out of the championship teams. They're lower table Premier League teams and I think that bodes well um, for the future because that's something I see at, at Arsenal that you know there's not a lot um, 
I would I like I don't want to say a lot of positive things about Arsenal, but I, I am often very jealous of and Chelsea and uh, how they both manage their youth players and they have great academies, but they get the players out and playing. So when it's time for them to step up, they're able to, and, and we don't have that really, which is a bummer. Uh, I have a question for Jason. Um, yeah. Do you have any concern uh, after, because I know obviously going into the season, one thing that, I mean, I, I know that some of our, our fans were jealous of you guys obviously picking up both, uh, you know, uh, Tangai, Ndombele and Giovanni Lo Celso. And it seems like neither one of them got consistent runs under Mourinho. And, you know, with both of them obviously being such, such promising, you know, and, and seemingly like young, you know, talents that could be at the club for a while. Do you have concerns over like his kind of seeming unwillingness to like give them, you know, runs or find a, you know, find a, a system or whatever that, that fits them in? Uh, also, I don't really, also, he seemed to like quite a bit, actually. He, he had some bad, he got hacked down pretty bad, uh, in a friendly earlier in the season. So when, when Mourinho first came in, he was still injured, I believe, or just coming back from it. So it, it took him a little while to get into the fold, but, um, the issue with him right now is he's kind of Lacelso is being asked to do the work. Like all our midfielders are kind of playing out of position because we don't have a number six, um, and that's you know. And Dumbbell, I could have a whole show about how frustrating that's been, and uh, and I think there's a lot of questions about is it his health, is it his attitude, is it you know Mourinho just picking a big player to you know blame for things, but. Um, you know, it's pretty clear when Ndombele comes in that he just the role for him isn't what we can offer him right now. Just because when you have like Sissoko and Winks or Ndombele all kind of, it's not quite a double pivot. It's not, we don't really have a number six. So Lucelso and, and also kind of towards the end of Erickson's uh, time at the club, he was being forced to play deeper. Deli Ali would be forced to play deeper. And it wasn't even necessarily just under Mourinho. That was a problem under Pochettino as well. So I, I hope, I think, you know, and this is kind of maybe going into the questions Brian has been asking about uh, players we would hope to get. You know, I would, I would hope to see a, a really solid number six come in, like a, you know, I mean, I don't even know who to dream for or not right now, but if it does end up being Hoiberg, which it seems pretty likely it is, he's not like a glamour signing, but I think he would be, huge for us to just have somebody that can sit there in front of the front line break up play yeah. get the ball for players like Lacelso and hopefully and Dombele should be freed up a little bit to not have to play as we're talking uh, Hoiberg from Southampton correct that's correct yeah that's that okay. seems like it's gonna happen I mean I'm sure I, I usually ignore a lot of the paper talk around this time of the season yeah. but uh, you know I, I feel like my spidey sense is on that one you've, you've seen the right people say it's kind of happening to where it yeah, you know, so it, he's a player that I think just positionally he's he's solid enough. I, I mean, I've you know I've read some of the guys that are way deeper into stat stuff and they seem pretty impressed by him. But you know, sure. the eye test he looks good enough. Uh, but more importantly, he's a position we have zero of. You know, Eric Dyer can kind of play there, but he's not very good at it. Juan Yama right. broke down. Um, you know, all, we, we just kind of ran all our defensive midfielders into the ground under Pochettino and, and in that period where we didn't sign anybody, kind of got left really thin there. So um, if we can shore up that position and, 
I think that the problems with like LaCelso maybe not he, he just got gassed by the end of the year he was coming sure. off after 50 60 minutes but it's because we're having him track back to the back line and try to bring up and also create and it's just like that's not his right. role well, and the benefit of obviously this, the number six role is that they don't have to be glamorous, right? Uh, I mean, you're looking for someone who's someone who can hopefully, you know, do their job and stay disciplined without, you know, hopefully, you know, creating too many, you know, negative card situations, et cetera. So, yeah. I mean, you want one that can like pass progressively if you're, if you're not intending to just sit back and hoof it, you know, and I, right. And it seems like he's got a, a pretty good eye for playing a progressive pass to, you know, someone in the midfield sure. or out in the wing. But, um, yeah, that, that's, it's a worry. I mean, the Ndombele thing is, has just been nothing short of a disaster. If, if just for the, the, you know, the sort of circus it brings around Mourinho and him. So even, even right. if you're able to have a kind of positive spin on, hey, it takes a year to get adjusted, uh, press is going to run with whatever they want to. There's always going to be, you know, somebody trying to create a bigger story than there is. But at the same time, it's, it's pretty wild that for the money we spent on him and, and the glimpses of, what we've seen he's been able to do that he's not gotten on the field that much and, and sure it there definitely have been injuries but it's very clearly not just the case of that i've got a quick question sure what's with like from an outside looking in mm-hmm. it always seems like there's a lot of negativity towards Mourinho. like yeah. i don't get it like for me like the guy knows how to win like i get it he's got an attitude and there's, there's people that aren't a fan of his style of play but Everywhere he's gone, he's won. Like yeah. Chelsea, Inter, Madrid, Porto. Even like the failure of a, of a couple of years he had at United, he was still one of them, arguably more successful than Van Gaal, Moyes. Yeah. And it still takes time right now. Like Solskjaer right now is still like getting into the groove of things and he's getting better granted and they've had a pretty decent season compared to the last couple yeah. of years. But correct wrong, but... I'm, I don't want to like dig at you, but I'm going to dig at you. I believe Mourinho probably has more, more, more titles and more trophies than Tottenham. Uh, I don't think well, he's probably pretty close to not. Um, I mean, but he's probably got that for a lot of clubs. He's. A, I, I agree that he's. I, I think the question is, it, 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 uh, does he win things or did he win things? Um, and I think I think he's still capable. I think he's still, you know, as, even United in the mess that they were in when he came in had a, probably a more talented squad than what we have right now, uh, or at least a more balanced squad. I, I wonder if he's be able to step into a team like ours and change as much as, as needs to be, you know, as, as needs to be changed and still win. I hope he does, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, willing to. I, we have no choice but to kind of get behind him, and, and but I think a lot of it just comes from him coming from you know managing Chelsea twice, and um, but you know the, the worry I think is how he's left the teams he's managed since Real Madrid, and it's pretty much been you know you you get a couple of trophies, but he's left teams in chaos, and and you know Chelsea's been able to rebound from that. United's now finally coming back to it. Real Madrid's clearly not going to be you know be affected for very long because they can they have money till the end of the end of time we don't necessarily even though our we have a bigger stadium now we're a lot more stable financially than a lot of other teams you know if, if Mourinho were to do that kind of number on our team it, it could be pretty tragic uh in terms of how we're trying to build or what the what the you know ultimately what the our board and our fans want to see the team become 
Um, so I guess it's just, you know, I think, I think people are a little scared to, to you know, see him maybe leave our team. And that the Ndombele thing kind of feeds right into that. You're like, if he's going to come in and immediately alienate your best player and start pissing off the locker room, I, you know, we'll see. I would, I would, right. if, it, if it, yeah, it's just, it's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, I have, I have one more question for you. Um, sure. Have, have we seen the best of Harry Kane? What, where, where, where do you think uh, has, has Harry, has Harry, has Harry Kane kind of, you know, hit the top and, and like that's, and that's it, you know, I mean, I know that he's still put out, you know, pretty decent, you know, numbers this year. I know he obviously had some injury problems and whatnot. Um, it seemed like there were a few stretches where maybe he wasn't quite at his sharpest, but obviously from someone who watches them week in and week out, what's your, what's your take on, on his situation or, or capabilities right now? If you would have asked me a month and a half ago, I would have said probably yes. Now I'm, a, I'm maybe a little more optimistic again. Uh, he finished mm-hmm. the season really strong. Um, the answer is probably. I mean, but I don't think – I think there's a lot of – you know, he was at a very, very high level, and I think that even if he drops back a tad, he's still, you know, top 10, top 15 striker in, in, in Europe or the world. The, the thing that's worrisome, I think, is that – his injuries keep up you know the ankles just every year it's something now so it's, it's three straight years where he's missed a good chunk of the season and you know it's done him no favors in terms of just physically but also throwing his rhythm off and and you know i think people blame pochettino like in the champions league final for throwing him in or or you know Mourinho again of like he just wants but i think Kane wants to play every minute and kind of needs sure. him in a sense too to get up to his level and i think you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see what we put around him this year. And I think we need a creator. Fields not playing well. He has this habit of just like, he'll drop the defensive midfield. We just we always have a joke. A lot of my Totten friends and I is like you know how bad the game's gonna be when he's winning the ball like on our side of the field consistently, and that you know it's just not gonna be a good thing. Uh, right. and it's not gonna get better. It's just so. That's another one where if, if if we fix our midfield, I think he can kind of stay where he needs to stay in the pitch. And you know, I like when he drops back into like a ten roll. He's a very capable pass. He's got great vision. He can get you know some field. And uh, so yeah, we'll see. I think injuries will be the, the, the um, kind of determinator of that. But uh, it's been. It's possible that we've seen the best of them, but I, I, I'm not certain that we have, and I hope we have it. Yeah. All right, sweet. Any other questions for the Tottenham supporter? I think we're good. Um, Thanks, guys. Forgive me if my table's wrong. I haven't looked at it since we won the league seven games back, but I believe next on the list is. Uh, our United supporter, Chelsea supporter. Sorry, a Chelsea supporter. <laughs> Lane. Yes, yes, I'm ready. Uh, my name's Lane. I've been a Chelsea supporter for about 17 years now. Um, my expectations for this season were finished top six. Um, hopeful of top four, but I didn't think that was you know possible. You know, you've got a transfer ban. You had uh, a new manager, a club legend, but he's only been a manager for, you know, not that long now. Um, you, you're, you're starting Tammy, who, you know, has no Premier League experience. You're 
your starting mount who has no Premier League experience. Tammy ends up getting 15 goals, but he can't. It just he can't hold the ball up. He tries all these flicks. It's so frustrating watching Tammy. Um, even though he did get 15 goals, um, but finishing top four for Lampard is was truly amazing. Um, and it was fun to watch. It was frustrating to watch. It was the, the defense. Something has got to be done. You've got to get a goalkeeper. Kepa's got to be gone. I think he's just he's too small. He, he doesn't know how to command his box. Um, and Lampard's got to figure out what he wants to play. Does he want to play? Does he want to play wing backs? Does he want to play four three three? Uh, he's got Werner and Ziyech coming in. Uh, it seems like Havertz is going to be a Chelsea player. It's just a matter of time. Uh, Oblak would be nice, but I don't. I don't believe that's realistic. Um, so Henderson or Pope, and is Man United going to let Henderson go? I don't know. Uh, but the top four finish was just, and it just came down to the last couple games. Chelsea kept messing up. They just didn't want to take it. It seems. Uh, thankfully, thankfully Lester had all those injuries, or I'm not sure Chelsea would have finished top four. Uh, the one sign, the two signings I think they really need. I would say Nick Pope, and they need to get a left back. Possibly Tagliafico would be nice. Um, I know there's there's rumors of Jimenez. The rumor mill for Chelsea right now is pretty insane. I don't I don't know if Jimenez from Atletico is realistic. He's probably in the range of like 80, 90 million. Plus you you want a goalie and you want Havertz. Um, but I I want to say I enjoyed watching Mount. Uh, I didn't realize he was going to be that good, but he he showed that not only can he play in the Premier League, but he'll probably be a starter for a long time. It seems like Chelsea is the only team with any money after being on the band for a year last year. So you guys are going <laughs> a little buck wild, but you know, go ahead. I was just going to say, but I mean, with all the changes, we kind of talked about this before, Lane. Do you think that you're going to have issue throwing all these new guys in the Premier League and then having them adjust next year? Are you, are you going to be able to roll on with the success, or is it going to be tough for you guys to put four or five new starters in, six if you get a tough center back, seven if you get a goalie? I mean, it's a I new think, team. I think year. that's fair. Uh, I think maybe the first, maybe the first month will be tough, um, but the transfer ban seems to actually help Chelsea when the pandemic hit because Abramovich just he saved all the money that he would have spent, and I think he gave Lampard a two hundred million dollar you know war chest he called it, um, and I don't think that was including uh, Ziyech and Warner. So, you know, Lampard's got $200 million to play with. Uh, just get it right, you know. <laughs> I, think, I think he said, you know, fourth, fourth's nice, but he'd like, to, he'd like to be first, obviously. So, um, first, first, I'd like him to figure out what, what formation he, he wants to use consistently. Um, and, if, and if he's going to use a wing back, then Alonso is probably the perfect perfect answer and if it's not then Alonzo is not a good left back he's a great wing back but he's a terrible left back um so you know Abramovich is giving Lampard anything and everything he wants it seems and Lampard needs needs to needs to do good and and get the players that that 
we need to get first because knocking off Liverpool and, and Man City is going to be extremely tough. You can see there's a huge gap. There's a huge gap between Liverpool and Chelsea, and you saw it in the last time they played. Um, if not for Pulisic, that game that game was a blowout. Uh, but I think things look bright for sure. Definitely a young team for you guys. So with uh, some talent and some youth, you I mean at least you guys set yourself up to compete in the next couple of years, if not next year. Well, you know, Chelsea has one of the one of the best academies in, in, in England for sure. And what the transfer ban at least allowed is for those young players to finally show what they have. Uh, we saw Mount, we saw Tammy, we saw Reese, we saw Gilmore. Um, and they all they all can play at that level. So, um, you know, I'd always wanted to see the young players get a real shot for a full season. And uh, the transfer ban sucked, but it allowed Chelsea fans to see, you know, the young talent Chelsea can produce. Um, unfortunately for Callum, he's still – he doesn't look the same after that Achilles injury. But, you know, they say it takes about a year and a half to get fully over that. Um, but I think Callum should still be, still be in Lampard's plans. I, I think he is, but Callum wants to start now. So um, hopefully he just has some patience and, and continues to get better, and he'll, and he'll get back in there as well. Nice. I mean, your question is not the same as everybody else's. Everybody else's, what's your dream signing? But it seems like Chelsea is just signing whoever they want. <laughs> well, my dream signing would be Oblak, I think. Um, although I don't think that's realistic. You know, if you get Oblak, can you get Havertz? Uh, a left back and maybe a center back probably not you know but can you get Havertz maybe Nick Pope and Tagliafico yeah I think absolutely that that's doable um, so the dream signing would be Oblak alright any questions for the Chelsea supporter no uh, I would just like to say um, Reese uh, I have no idea why Nuno didn't play um, Priori but I would like to thank him for uh, only bringing him on as a sub. <laughs> a lot of people think that. I think that game, our last game of the season, you know, got it wrong big time. And especially after that first goal um, and how it all went down, I think Nuno said himself, like, not only did he get it wrong, the players just lost it for those five minutes. And then it just, that was it. Well, you know, when Traore came on, he looked explosive. I think he put a cross in with that within the first couple of minutes that almost got headed in, and I was thinking, why on earth yeah. is, was this guy not starting? Yeah, it's thankful, crazy. though. Yeah, it's, it's – it's, sometimes it's – I mean, I'd love to know some of the decisions. Obviously, we all would, but there's a reason right. why they're the managers and the weird fans right now. True, yeah. All right, we're going to stop it and start it back over just before we get to Cam. Sorry, Cam. Give us a sec. One second. Mm -hmm. No problem. All right, so Chelsea, fourth, last spot of Champions League. Barely make a skin of their teeth final day, along with Manchester United. So, Cameron? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I'm uh, Cameron. I've been a Manchester United fan for about 16, 17 years. <clears throat> so I've seen a lot of... Uh, good times and a lot of not so good times uh, as of lately <clears throat> but this year we got the first year full year of 
of uh, Solskjaer in charge. So we got to see <clears throat> kind of his system, his his team selection, that kind of thing. Uh, I think to start the season, it was really good. We started, I think the first game was 4-0 against Chelsea and things looked good for that for United at that point and not so good for Chelsea. And then it kind of flipped a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but we had a lot of uh, difficulties, I think, with squad selection. It looked like we had a solid back line he brought in, Maguire and Juan Bissaka for that reason. And I think that was a big, big uh, addition for them. I think they finished with the third fewest goals against. So <clears throat> definitely a big step up from what we were dealing with in the past. Ole cleared out like people like Chris Smalling, uh, Ashley Young ended up going, Lukaku ended up going, which I don't know if that was the best timing because we didn't really have uh, a reserve in that spot for a little bit. <clears throat> and then Martial kind of stepped up and took that role and ended up coming up with some uh, some youth players to try to fill that gap. And by the end of the season, I got to say, I'm very, very happy with uh, third place and the unbeaten run to end the season. I mean, you can kind of figure out what the squad's going to look like for next year, just based on how we ended the season. Um, let's see. So I guess definitely Bruno Fernandez being added to the team kind of changed everything for us this season. We, uh, <clears throat> looked a little bit like we weren't going to get top four at all before he was there and kind of changed the whole way we played. The people that have been disappointed with this season, I guess uh, Andres Pereira, I didn't think looked good in a United shirt at all. Um, a lot of people did like Fred. I wasn't a big fan of Fred. I thought <clears throat> he did the work defensively, but for the money that we paid for him, every time I see him lose the ball, I just kind of shake my head. So, um, not, not a big fan of Fred. I like McTominay. I like uh, Maddich in the middle. <clears throat> and we've got Pogba going uh, in that position now, obviously, when, when he returned. So I, I think the squad's looking good. I think third place is a very, very good finish. And then it was shaky until the last day of the season there <clears throat> against Leicester, which I think our, our uh, squad was able to handle the, uh, the shortness of games and the uh, since the restart happened. So I think we're very happy with uh, third place there. Uh, looking forward, I think maybe a center back is needed. Uh, if Jaden Sancho comes in, that would be huge. So that's probably the, the dream signing that hopefully will happen. Um, maybe another a center back and maybe another center mid somewhere. Uh, we had Maddich starting a lot of those games, and I don't know if that can hold up for a full season. So maybe someone... <clears throat> in that spot, although I do like what McTominay brings, and I do like the way the front attack uh, ended the season. I don't really have too much to complain about it as it is right now. We've still got Europa League coming up, and basically a warm-up game for the second leg, and then we'll see where, where that goes. See how that if, uh, finishes up. Uh, I think you guys went through like a cycle um, of trying to find that front three that really works for you. And obviously Greenwood coming in had a huge impact, but who do you think gets dropped off now with Greenwood, Marshall, Lingard? Is, he, is Lingard the one on the way out, or is he the one who's been benched? It seems like that's kind of the, the big question for Man United every every game. Yeah, it is a tough decision. So if someone comes in, uh, if some, Jaden Sancho or whoever comes in, 
I think it would be Greenwood that would come out, although it would be hard. hard this feels like it would be hard to drop him at this point. Um, but uh, you can always see what he's capable of off of the bench. I think he, he did come in off the bench in a few games and look bright, and I think you can count on him for that. Um, dream center back pairing with McGuire. If you, if mm. you guys go get one, who's it going to be? Um, let's see. There's, there's a few names out there. I think, I don't know if Koulibaly's still linked. I kind of stay away from that stuff like a couple of you guys have said. <clears throat> I kind of stay away from the names. Um, that Gabrielle center back from Lille, is it? Looks like he'd be a, a nice player, but yeah, I, I kind of stay away from the names, but somebody to, to jump in there ahead of Lindelof would be nice. Um, and then I guess we'll see what they do with the goalkeeper situation too. De Gea, if they stick around with De Gea, or maybe finally cash in on De Gea and then bring in Henderson to uh, to take over that spot. We'll I was about see. to... I was about to ask you, um, I know that De Gea had has a rough year. Do you think that that's something that they think about offloading while he's still worth money, or they keep giving him a chance to compete? I think, yeah, this offseason is definitely the time to consider that. Um, I do – I really like De Gea. I think he's been, like, one of the top keepers in the world for while he's been here uh, or he's been at United. And <clears throat> but which when you get – another goalie that had a, such a successful year in the Premier League and a couple years with Sheffield, <clears throat> then it's definitely something that you consider. So they got to weigh the options there on that one. Um, I think De Gea is probably a better goalkeeper, but you got to kind of do what's best for the time that it is right now. Nice. Any uh, other questions for the Man United fan? No? Oh, Lane? Uh, I was just going to say, uh, you know, Cam, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but if United doesn't get Bruno Fernandez, uh, I, I think there's probably no way you finish top four. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely agree. He And if I had another midfielder spot in my team of the season, I would have put him in there uh, for only <laughs> what half the team, something like that. So <clears throat> that kind of, for me, that kind of rules, rules him out of for being team of the season, only playing half of the season. But he did have that big of an impact for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you think that, because obviously there were a lot of like kind of like jokes or whatnot floating around about the number of like penalties that United was getting. And now some of those were obviously in, in games that United was already a clear cut winner. You know, it was, you know, it was tacking on or whatever. But then there were a few that were in, you know, obviously pretty close matches. Do you have any concerns about maybe like some amount of, of reliance on you know your players' abilities to win win penalties going you know down the line without you know creating as much from from open play and maybe hoping seeing you know what Ole can do to maybe like improve that aspect for United. Yeah, I, no, I agree with you. Yeah, the uh, couple of those penalties were were definitely questionable. I think the one Aston Villa is the one that comes to mind that I don't think probably was a penalty, but. Uh, no, you're right. Uh, they're, they're putting the pressure on them anyway. A lot of those games, yeah, they're probably going to come out and, and win anyway. But <clears throat> no, I do like to create with Bruno and with uh, Rashford, Martial, Greenwood now. it's Yeah, it's it's fun to see. Really, it is. I was just going to go off of what Lane was saying about Bruno Fernandes. I actually think, I know some people might be like, oh, I'm not too sure. I actually think Bruno Fernandes is signing of the season. 
And I know he joined us in January, but that's how much of an impact he had on not just Man United, but the Premier League as a, as a whole. In his six, with a break, months um, that he was in the league, he had probably better performances, stats, and I know stats don't always mean everything, but he did more in those six months than a lot of the Premier League, other Premier League players did the last year. And yeah, I, yeah. I think that's how not only how good he is, uh, but I also think that's how important he is to Man United, not just this season, but these next coming seasons coming up. Absolutely. I think, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think he did lead the league, if you, or like the day that he signed or his first game, he led the league in goal contribution, I believe. So, yeah, absolutely. He's probably signing of the season. And it's nice that he adjusted to the EPL so quickly, considering that he only played about a month before they had to take a break. And then uh, to jump back in it and be able to help perform like that is, is a big, big ask. But, I mean, good for United. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can definitely see the class and the skills that he's got. All right. All right, so on to the, the first loser, second place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Uh, hey guys, uh, Mario. I've uh, been a City fan since 2002, three season. Um, this season's been pretty crazy, uh, really long. Uh, but these last like three months of football, like every two days, was awesome. Um, um, as far as City season, um, you know, I was super excited we beat Liverpool in the Community Shield. Uh, <laughs> um, I thought that was going to be start to a good season, but um, unfortunately. Uh, City's away form is is terrible. Um, you know, obviously, we have the most goals scored, um, but it means nothing when you don't win the Premier League. So, congrats to Liverpool for sure. Y'all were super consistent. Um, even when I was nail biting, hoping y'all were just gonna get a draw, you know, I'd always get a goal at the end. You know, the game against Everton always just haunts me. You know, we're tied, and then what's his name? The goalie slaps it in the goal. It really made me angry. Uh, but um, yeah, I think City's just had really, really bad away form, um, and we get countered way too easily. You know, against Arsenal, um, we got countered upon Young's pace. Um, against Wolves, you know, um, Traore is just too fast, and I think the way that City plays, um, they they get they try to pin teams in. But then they just hoof the ball out, and we don't have the pace uh, to contend to that. And uh, I think the only way that that's going to get fixed is just a positioning um, and maybe changing the tactics just a little bit. Um, but I mean, Carabao Cup, yeah, we got that. We're still in contention for um, the uh, Champions League, which would be great. Um, but you know, there was all this noise with the UEFA ban and the CAS ruling. I think put a pretty bad taste in a lot of people's mouth, not only with just city fans, but also probably all the other teams, you know, still thinking that, you know, Mourinho was talking about how, you know, if you're not guilty, why still pay a fine? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I think uh, second place is good because Liverpool is just leaps and bounds um, as far as consistency goes. Um, but I mean, I still think city are a great team. And I think next year, It'll be a really good season. So, I think yeah, City's. That, I mean, as good as City is an attack, like you said, they score goals, you know, by the handfuls. But it always seems that your center back situation has always been an issue. I mean, injuries, 
You know, if you're if your go to center back is Onamendi, I mean, we can all say that you know there's there's a good chance you're gonna get beat to the first ball. Uh, so and you guys, I mean you you kind of have a def- defensive mid here recently, um, but you guys, I don't know if I've seen somebody like willing to be disciplined in that in that role for you guys for a long time. Do you think that um, you guys go out and find a center back? Do you guys? maybe find more defensive players or do you think that you I mean you guys already bought what a winger so another tagging player for uh... Uh, um, well so yeah so we got you know Fernand Torres we just got Rodrigo um, he was kind of hurt off and on through the season um, Laporte we got him but he got hurt um, it sucks that Odomendi um, he's so bad he's terrible um, he's just oh he's so bad he makes David Luiz look really good and no offense to you Arsenal but uh Jesus Christ. Uh, the guy just he can't tackle, and he's so slow. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, I've heard that we're getting Nathan Ake. Uh, I think he's a good defender, but for $40 million, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, you know uh, Otto Rabayo, he's, uh, he's on loan. And, um, you know, Hayward Bellis, they've played him a couple times, uh, you know, in, like, the, the league cups. But... Um, I don't know. It's hard to say what the issue really is. I know for sure it's just counter, but is it is it because of the way the midfield is playing, or is it because positionally the defense isn't correct, or is it just a lack of pace? Uh, so many, so many questions um, that that I don't really have an answer for. But um, for sure, we got Fernand Torres coming in. Uh, he looks pretty solid. He looks electric. It sucks we lost Leroy Sané because I mean it's just so fast. Um, but uh, yeah, cities. Uh, okay, Cody. Um. Oh, God, what was I going to ask about? Uh, Nathan. Affey. Oh, because of the Nathan, the Nathan Affey thing from Bournemouth. Because mm-hmm. I, I thought that was strange for both parties. I think it's strange for City, and I think it's strange for uh, Nathan Aki, just because Aki is a left-footed center back you already have Laporte who's a left left footed center back so I mean I guess if you're taking into account injuries or maybe rotation or something but it just seemed like such a strange way to to spend those funds because I mean you're not most teams and most coaches aren't going to start two left footed center backs you're going to start a left footed on the left side if you have them available and you're going to start a right footed center back on the on the right side if you have them available mm-hmm. so I just thought that was kind of a a strange move but do you I mean do you think that Eric Garcia did enough you know during those last you know the, those last several weeks to to kind of like hold that down or do you think that they're still trying to find someone with some more experience maybe to kind of like come in and, and like supplant him in that role and give him a more like rotational job um well I think that Eric Garcia did Fantastic. Um, I think the issue with Garcia is uh, maybe his size a little bit uh, for the Premier League. Um, but defensively, I think he, he is positionally aware and he, he has good positioning, which I think helps him because he is so small. Um, but as far as Nathan Ake goes, I think that, you know, two right-footed defenders play together all the time. You know, for instance, Liverpool, Gomez, and Van Dyke play together. They're both right-footed. Um so I don't think it would be an issue to have two left-footed defenders, but is Ake the right player? I don't know. Um, I watched, you know, I didn't watch too many Bournemouth games other than the ones that City play. Uh, but I, so I looked up his highlight reel. He looks good. Um, 
but he kind of has like that Oda Mendiness about him where he just very uh, like jumps in a lot, but he wins the ball a lot. Um, I don't want to compare him to Oda Mendy at all, so I, I don't know why I said that, but uh, I don't know. Uh, for me, Nathan Ake, 40 million, 45 million, whatever it is. Uh, don't know if it's good business or not. It would all depend on if it's A, if it happens, and B, uh, if he's just going to be uh, a fringe player, rotation player, um, and how well he actually does. So here's my opinion on Nathan Akai and the dollars and the amount. It's because he plays in England. If you put that player in another, another team in Europe, he's worth 20 million. Let's take Dortmund, for example, right? They just they bought Hagelan for what? Give or take 20 million. From Birmingham. That's the same amount as Tyrone Mears. Yeah. Right. Right? So it's like, you, I think the reason why that dollar, the amount is the amount is because he literally plays it in a club in England. Everything in England is just just stupid basically in terms of the dollars as a player I don't I don't think he's worth that much anyway I don't have a huge but going back to what you saying in terms of Odomendi and you were saying like you think he was a terrible player I don't think he's a terrible player I just think Pep's become more predictable Pep changed the Premier League when he came in I don't think you have the Liverpool you do today if Pep wasn't there you don't have the likes of Nuno Chris Wilder at Sheffield United even Sean Dyche at Burnley and the way they play. I think he's changed the Premier League and the way people play, which is great, but he's been a victim of his own success and he hasn't changed. Everyone else has adapted and he hasn't. So going from being the superior team the last couple of years, I mean, the last 10 years, really they've been superior, but when since Pep's been there, been superior, everyone else has adapted and adjusted because of them and the standards they've been set. And they haven't. So now everyone's catching up, and Liverpool surpassing them. It's made a made some of City's players look poorer than they are, and getting caught out, like you said, against Wolves when they lost home and away with the counter and stuff. If that was three years ago, it's not happening. Right, but no, I totally, Pep, I totally agree. in my opinion, I don't think Pep has adjusted the way everyone else in the league has adjusted. Yeah, makes sense. I understand. Um, yeah, yeah. So maybe that's the more interesting thing to, to to wait and see what City does is how how Pep adjusts to these other teams adjusting. Because Reese, I think you kind of hit it there. Because like I think back to like our FA Cup semifinal game, you know, and it was clear that we set up to to be compact, to be disciplined defensively, and you know, and then to to rely on our our front three to hit them on the counter and it, and it worked I mean within reason I mean you still give up a lot of, of a lot of shots they have a lot of you know decent quality chances you know where City could have easily you know notched one or two goals themselves but I, I think that's kind of the risk you take but if you get your players to to stay disciplined and, and to you know to do their best to you know to basically convert what are typically high quality chances into low quality chances by getting a body in the way or whatever it is you know, then you then you really limit City's ability to be effective. Um, so I think you know maybe you know kind of like you know Mario talking about some of these guys that are that are coming in for them. You know, maybe the more interesting thing will be to see how Pep uses them or how he kind of like plugs them into to City system to try and you know kind of like you said you know adapt with the the other teams who are adapting as well. Right, and I think the biggest I think for me personally as a fan, 
and having had the joys of watching him play live a number of times in City is how are they going to replace David Silva? Is Foden going to come in and start making that start? Or is he going to continue to come off the bench and play minutes here and there? Or are they going to bring another player in? Because that there is a big, big loss. No, I 100% agree. Um, as far as Foden, I don't know. Um, Foden's definitely outstanding. He's a great star coming, and he'll be really big for City if he stays, and I hope he does. Um, but my guy that I would say um, who could kind of fill that shoe, who's never, he's always been out of position, is Bernardo. Uh, and that's because I feel like he's very comparable in the style of player that they are. Um, they both are small. They're both really good in small spaces um but bernardo's not really been put in that position so um i think if he's given a chance i think that he could fill that spot uh, pretty well so city's dream signing mm. uh well um aguero you know he's just like harry kane unfortunately has been hurt um for the last three years with the, whether it's a knee or an ankle um we have gabriel as a as a backup but i think we need some height um and it, it sounds probably you know stereotypical but i think holland would have been super super great um you know a lot of people will probably say koulibaly because our defense but um i think that uh holland would probably be like my dream signing for city just for his size he's got he's got a little bit of pace and you know he can score goals so well he's still young you still have a chance oh super young yeah Awesome. Any other questions for our, our city fan? Yeah, I, I have a quick question for Mario. Uh, as a city fan, when you saw Fernandinho come in at center back, what was your first thought? Because mine was, well, a goal is probably going to get scored. He had to have been one of the worst center backs to play in the league this year. It would be, <laughs> and and uh, as a Chelsea fan, it was hilarious to watch. Um. Well, to be honest, you know, he did so good in defensive midfield, but it's a totally different position. Um, right. I thought, sure, he'll be okay, but um, uh, it's hard to say because uh, he wasn't outstanding. Um, I, I, you know, it could have been worse, but I think he did, in all fairness, I think he did probably the best he could have done. Uh, since that's not even his position at all. But uh, if I had the great amount of 10, it'd probably be like a five. So not very good. It's funny because we're okay. talking about how bad these players are when really they finish second in the league. <laughs> like, well, right. Well, but, but you're taking, you're taking <laughs> the standards of like the last three years. Yeah. You know, no, I get it. It's just it's just weird how we compare it. We're not talking, you know, about these scrub center backs. That's what I find funny as well. When you guys talk about your terrible seasons and finishing sixth in the Premier League, <laughs> I've watched my team be relegated two years in a row to League One, be on the board, be on the verge of like with no team, and you guys are like, oh, I've been so bad to finish sixth in the Premier League and only won the FA Cup. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would guess most teams on the table would take Fernandez as center back, <laughs> bottom, bottom 10 on the table. But yeah, well done. All right, so I guess I'll introduce myself. Um, I mean, people who listen to the podcast know I'm Brian. Um, I've been a Liverpool supporter for 16 years, um, and by far the best. I mean, obviously we won it, but just the way we did it, the consistency. I mean, everything. The way we. And I've asked Lane, and I think Cody this question a few times: is like, would you rather play electric style and lose, or play? really crappy football 
and win the league, a.k.a. Mourinho whenever he was on Chelsea and United. And so I've always been excited about the way Liverpool have played, even when we get, you know, lose six to four or some crazy back in the day. Um, so it's nice to be able to win the league as well as play um, a little little electric. I mean, there are times when we did grind it out, but I think all teams have to do that. And Liverpool was very lucky. I mean, all champion, every team that wins the league is lucky. You can't say that it was all skill and all talent because, I mean, that's just not how it works for you. I mean, to go as long as we did without even losing a game, uh, I don't know. It was, it was, it was obviously the best title we've won since I've followed him in 16 years. I've seen him go to the Champions League final four times, win it twice. You know, um, some of those other things are not as important, but to be the first time to watch them win the league after being going through Brendan Rodgers and Daglish and like all these guys who, I mean, they're they're big names, uh, managers. They're club legend managers but um i think they really they end up just getting it right with Klopp. i mean and it has a big big to do with uh the ownership group um and so uh i mean i can't i have zero complaints about our season i'm not happy about how it ended just because you know we are 45 days away from next season and it seemed like we did go on a slump there i mean i know we won it so it's tough for uh those players that not just phone it in um, but you see all the other teams who are still fighting for it, who are going to Champions League, who have more games under their belt. And uh, I've seen some things about Liverpool not even playing in the, F- in the Community Shield, which is, I don't, who cares? Um, but it, it does leave a little bit of concern because you see, as like we're talking about with City, teams adjusting, teams adapting, whereas Liverpool went a whole summer without buying anybody, and it looks like we may do it again. Can we consistently not bring in players while people like Chelsea are bringing in quality. Um, I don't know if it, I don't know. I, I mean, I'd like to think that we could keep doing it. In my mind, I understand that Liverpool's a business, so I would, if you could find someone to buy Salah right now, uh, PSG like, seems like the only club with real money all the time, or Real Madrid, and just go find players to replace that. Because I think we need more depth, especially in attacking. When, you, when those three players are not on, when Mane, Salah, and Firmino are not on all together at the same time, it seems like we have a real issue finding that space going forward. Um, and also, I think Mane is our best player. I don't think Salah is. Um, I saw Mario giving some slack to uh, Hendo winning the PFA Player of the Year. Um, but to be fair, I mean, Hendo is all about presence, not really about his play. I mean, what he's he's brought the team to, I mean brought as a as a captain you know champions league final champions league title premier league second place runner-up with like our, our highest points we've ever had next year to winning the, the league so obviously i don't think he's the best player or even top 20 player in the league skills wise but what he actually does bring to the team in regards to you know his presence and him being a leader obviously does make a big a difference because you can see every game he's out that there seems to be a lack of of a uh, of talent. So or not talent of a uh, pace and and want. Um, my dream signing. It's hard because with, when you support a big team that does well, you have like crazy ideas. It's not just like go get someone whatever. Um, but yeah, I I like Jordan Sancho. I think he'd be a good replacement for Salah. Um, I don't think that's going to be happening. I don't think Liverpool's spending any money. Um, obviously Mbappe would be. 
crazy awesome. He's always been on the radar for Liverpool, never to be paid 150, 160 million. Um, but I, realistically, I think we need a uh, center back next to uh, Virgil. Gomez is good. Um, but I think that, I don't know. I have I do have some problems with TAA, or Trans Alexander-Arnold and Robertson as it comes to actually defending. Um, great going forward, great assisting. Um, but the first, man, I think that City game, I think Robertson had two pretty big blunders that led to their goals. Um, and I, I don't know. I think that that might have been just phoning it in, but also it, it, it makes you worried about the future. So I think just some depth there because I don't think Milner can do it forever. Uh, it's good to see Nico Williams, the kid, playing. Um, we have a lot of youth players. I don't know if they'll actually ever play. Um, Harvey Elliott's 16, and he looks like he could be something if he sticks around. Um, so, that, I mean, great season. Our best season, obviously, since I've been a supporter. Um, but just a little bit more, more concerned about what, what we follow up with. Especially probably with the season coming so close, right? With them being so close to each other, you worry about some of that kind of like hangover mentality carrying over because – I mean, we've seen before how early season struggles can sink a team, you know, and then you're literally spending the rest of the season trying to make that up. So how how much, like, are you actually worried that, you know, they could, you know, drop, you know, enough results in those first, you know, four to five weeks or so, you know, you know, given, you know, the way they kind of like rounded out the year? Yeah, I mean, really concerned because, I mean, obviously we had no issues this year, but we played – Last year, or man, I can't even think now. When we were runners up, runners up the city, and we played, um, really our best season ever, and we, you know, we only had like two or three draws. You know, like we still lost at ninety nine or ninety eight, ninety seven points. You know, so like, it, it. A lot of people have that mentality where like, you know, it's being the season, it's okay to lose. But if you put that game at the end of the season and you lose that game, and you're pissed off about it, or you're worried about how it finishes. So being able to be consistent, especially at the beginning of the season, it does make me worry because we've lost the season by a point, by two points or whatever. So, you know, you got to be able to hit the ground running when your season starts if you want to be able to, to qualify. I mean, look at the, the race for Europe, race for relegation. All those things came down to one game at the end of the season. Had, they, had you put that game at the beginning of the season, people would not have been put as much importance on it when realistically it's the same importance being at the end of the season and beginning of the season. So, Lane? Anybody else have any questions uh, for Brian or anything to say? I have a question, Reese? Brian. I have a question. What's Pedro Nato's stood offside or not? Say what? Was Pedro Nato's stood offside or not? <laughs> uh, uh, you know. <laughs> From our game, we got our goal ruled out because apparently he's stood going the opposite way. It's, was the offside or not? It's crazy because, like, it how, like, tight VAR, like, literally within lines of things. And then it seems like when it matters, like, you know, like, right? I mean, I'm right. And when it matters the most, it works out in, in, the, in that favor of, of big clubs. But, you know, I I didn't have much to say about it. But we <laughs> were. <laughs> <laughs> It, that, it, that's a, that's another podcast in itself. Yeah, it's hard not to be 
I mean, a homer for your team, but man, yeah, when you see big clubs definitely get a little bit more. I mean, we're talking about with United, 14 PKs. It just seems like sometimes it just goes in your favor. Sometimes it just takes luck rather than or skill, talent. Yeah, I think I think that I think that topic's uh, another 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 podcast in itself. Hey, I I, I, won't, yeah. I don't forget that uh, Wolverhampton beat knocked uh, Liverpool out of the FA Cup last year. So you can you you, you, get, a good run. you get one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only difference is we didn't win anything. You did. <laughs> Brian, we've talked about it before, and I know you want Sancho, but I think Madison from Leicester would be the perfect signing for Liverpool. I. It, he just resigned with Leicester, though. Yeah, he, he just, just signed a new deal. Yeah, exactly. he's not moving. And uh, Uda Mendy, I think, just signed a new contract. I thought I heard, but. Um, yeah, it's weird because I think it takes a very specific person. I know Madison is that kind of that that player, but it it takes someone who is going to literally run themselves into the ground for ninety minutes to be able to play a Liverpool center mid. I mean, you're getting no help, not no help. You're not getting a lot of help from your attacking players. You know, your outside mids are very, our outside backs are very attacking minded. So. There's no glory in the Liverpool center mid position. Um, and I think Madison, he does work hard, but I think he wants the ball at his feet more than the guys who currently play, which would change how we look. It's not always a bad thing. Um, but I'm just saying what what we have now, what we currently look like, I don't, I'm not really sure. So. Well, you know, there, there must be some glory since, um, you know, uh, Endo won... One of the PFA player of the year. I mean, I'm shocked just as much as anybody else. I'll take it. But <laughs> he didn't he, – he, I mean, I know it's not a stats thing, and he's an English player, and, you know, it is the English writers who kind of vote on that. So it, there's a little bit of leniency toward that. But, yeah, uh, there's definitely a center mids who had a bigger impact on their team than I think he did actually stats-wise. Sure. But sweet. I made it through finally, everybody. Um, so it. it takes some it takes some doing. There's a lot. There's a lot to say. There's a lot to to share. So people are listening. We did a. We asked all the guys and a couple of extra people to give their team the season. Um, the one requirement was that you can only put two max per team. So I I made a team based off of what all of our guys voted, um, and we can kind of talk about it or whatever. Um, so and we went with the four three three Henderson from Sheffield in goal. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Virgil van Dijk, Maguire, um, Azpilicuete. There was a little bit of toss-up between uh, Azpilicuete, but since Robertson's a Liverpool player, the ties goes to the Chelsea team. We'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> I was shocked I didn't get as many uh, votes for uh, Soyanku, Soyanku, the the center back for Leicester, I think he had a really good season jumping in. It was in. a lot harder. When you first said, oh, yeah, we just want a team of the year, but your maximum of two players, I was like, oh, okay, sweet. This took me a long time to actually write down. Same. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, it's like, because like, you, you go into it, you're like, right, okay, Andrew Robertson, okay, cool, Virgil van Dijk, but now I'm using all the Liverpool players. Right. Right? So yeah. like, yep. when you start looking at other players, it's a lot harder than it looks. Yeah. 
yeah. Well, it makes Absolutely. you. I mean, it, it gives other teams. I think it gives other players a chance because a lot of times you do go with the team that won the league because obviously they had a very consistent, talented team. Yeah. But you know, how do you get players like Grealish or Madison or even you know, uh, Chilwell and Wambasaka got some. You know, there's a lot of guys who got votes, but like, you tend to get those guys who are top four, top whatever. Um, so I just was hoping to get a little bit more votes. I mean, I think that the back line would be pretty strong there. Um, I, had no, I had no complaints about it. Um, and I, I was actually going to say something earlier, but we'll get to it when we get there. The center three would be De Bruyne, Fernandez, and Grealish, which leaves some uh, room for def- defense, which is <laughs> kind of it, like those guys are very good going forward, but you know there's like, going to be a big gap between your attacking players and your defensive players. Right. Uh, I mean, I think that's kind of the point of team of the season, though. Team of the season is rarely built around actual like tactical stability. It's yeah. just people. A lot of it, a lot of it is a is a numbers game, kind of like you said. I think for a lot of people, but I think there's things you know that you can acknowledge because I know that I saw a few people who had put Ndidi into their into their team of the year, who I think is is a great shout. Um, you know, and I think there's there's a hand. I think part of the problem with this year's team is that because of the season being broken up, we saw you know, very different performances from different players, you know, kind of as the season evolved. And so like I, I considered actually, you know, putting, uh, you know, either one of, uh, you know, Neves or Matinho in mind because I felt like they were so important to what, you know, Wolves did in, in terms of being able to, you know, to push up the table and, you know, and stay into that, you know, that top, you know, six to eight spots or whatever. And, uh, you know, I think it's hard sometimes to look beyond, you know, the guys who are just putting up, you know, goals and assists. But, you know, I think if you're really thinking about, you know, in terms of, you know, team importance, you know, you, you have to consider some of those guys. So, I mean, it's easy, you know, to, to make the votes for the other guys, but still. Yeah. And so this is where I kind of, so like we, he went with Danny Ings, you know, that's where we ended up yeah. in. Um, Vardy and Aubameyang, which again, that's not, it's not a very tactical decision because only Aubameyang is really the only player of those three who was willing to play in a wide position. Out wide. Vardy's quick, but he's sure, not. He's sure. a central player. Same thing with Danny Ings. They're very, very poacher-like players. Aubameyang can be, but he also has the ability to play that wide space. So, I mean, I, I, I thought Sterling or Torre would have been a, a good shout on the outside because they do play that that width. Um, I think I think all I think all everyone's votes were all justified regardless. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Realistically, the Premier League should there should it should probably be like the like the NBA does, you know, where you have a first team and a second team, or you know, or even a third team included, because there are so many like you know, Jack Grealish is such a is such a tough one because like his numbers were pretty good and stuff, but and and obviously it, it underlines how important he was to Aston Villa staying up, but still like they came down to you know a last day you know sort of sort of Keep thing scoring. you know and and yeah and so it's kind of a like yeah, it's it's tough because there's there are a lot of guys who who could have you know earned spots there. You know, I thought you know I I considered putting you know Ben Chilwell from Leicester as you know in in my team as left back, even though he ended up missing like eleven games because literally their their kind of like dip in form that last bit of the season was without Ben Chilwell and Ricardo Pereira playing fullback for them, and it and it changed the way that they had to approach a lot of their games. And, Absolutely, you know. And it's kind of, and it's tough to kind of see that you almost feel bad for those things. But again, injuries are part of the almost. game. You know, every team has to deal with them. Yeah, almost. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to know the, the criteria that people use and like go and their thought behind their votes. 
like yeah. like you said, like a lot of these really is like a, almost like a dream team, right? But if mm-hmm. it'd, be, it'd be interesting to see if like there was an actual like certain criteria that was needed to be met for votes to even be considered. Yeah, and how sure. that would go. Like you said, this is really a dream team, not a tactical decision. Right. As right. If yeah, there's kind people, of yeah. a tactical decision in there, this team's going to look a lot different. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny because when I set my team up, I did set it very tactically. So I was trying to actually decide. Yeah, I, went with, I went with the wingbacks, and so I put Ndidi in, I didn't. and I was trying to find a, a suitable wingbacks that I thought would actually play defense and go forward, not just guys who are like, I can put them out wide and they can just attack, you know? Because okay. I was like, perfect. So to be fair, the most votes that got spread out were defenders, though. I mean, Goalies, we had three votes, but really just two between Pope and Henderson because I think that the top six goalies were okay at best. I mean, my Kevin well, was trash. Yeah. I mean, Allison's a good goalie, goal, but yeah. Goalkeepers are hard as well because it's like, you, if you take Pope and Henderson, for example, their, front, their, their defenders, their point that we've got in front of them, a lot different to the likes of the Hay. Oh, yeah. Kevin, yeah. And everyone yeah. Else, right? Yeah, yeah. So when you've got a, a front four, a three, a five, or however you want to look at it, from each team, kind of to to see what Dean Henderson and and uh, Mick Pope did, uh, I think it's pretty impressive yeah. considering. Oh, absolutely, you know, I agree. Players, but to have a have a, a front uh, or a back four that's worth three hundred plus million compared to thirty million, yeah. you're going to expect yeah. a, a wide range of, of difference of abilities there. So. I think it's yeah. impressive. Well, yeah, and the, like you said, like it's interesting to hear the different perspectives because, like for us, Arsenal, like obviously Aubameyang was our was our best player, but most people would tell you that Burned Leno was our player of the season because <laughs> his save percentage was so high because our 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 backline was literally so terrible, and so like even though you know we didn't even though we didn't keep hardly any any clean sheets, like he was part of the reason why we why we got you know any of the few like wins and and many of the draws that we did because he. He played so well and then Emmy Martinez you know down the line so it's weird to be you know it's weird when you have to start to like take some things like that into consideration I like because I voted for Nick Pope because I, I, I you know it was Pope or Henderson you know very very clearly like like Reese said you know because of the teams that they play in and stuff uh, you know and, and you have to give credit to those teams too because their ability to stay organized defensively in order to earn their team clean sheets uh, you know in tight games is is uh you know there, there's a lot to be to be said there but um both of those guys i think yeah had had seasons worthy of you know being being put into a, a team of the year sort of style thing so what what players from the bottom three teams get poached who who is worth keeping i mean you know like usually you see those i mean a lot, for sure well a lot of the guys will go to play for teams that just got promoted that's a that's a pretty standard thing because you know they're on the cheap ish they've had premier league success but who actually? Right. Bournemouth, I feel like, has a lot of players who are worth keeping around. Um, at least out of those three teams. Yeah, I mean, I think Lane said the biggest one is Cantwell. Yeah, yeah, can't Cantwell probably. Well, and the, the hard part with some of those teams is that you know that those guys will like a lot of those guys will stay because a lot of those guys came through with those clubs into the Premier League. So, like, you're not going to see Troy Deeney move to a promoted side. Probably, he's probably going to stay with Watford because that's you know, that's his club, you know, I would say probably the same thing for Callum Wilson at Bournemouth, you know, but you could probably see a guy like Josh King, you know, make a move to, you know, to a mid table side or to a, you know, or to one of the newly promoted teams. Um, you know, it, it, it's really, 
it's really tough. You know, you know Norwich had uh, Cantwell, and then uh, Buendia, I think, was their other guy who who was a pretty, you know, strong performer. Who I think some of the other teams were, you know, were interested in potentially bringing in. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's wasn't it's Buendia up there in the league and some of the most chances created. Yeah, like fourth, yeah, so wasn't he? Yeah, Buendia created a, created a, a lot of a lot of good chances and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, you look at some of those rosters. I don't know. Like, uh, you could say maybe Saar from Wofford. Like, even though he just landed there this year, I mean, he he looked a player those last few weeks. You know, out wide that probably some of those you know you know mid table to lower table teams might might consider. You know, or somebody might might consider. You know, some of those guys with with a little bit more experience, like like Decore or or even a, a Clevery or a, or a Kapu from Watford. You know, guys who who played and kind of been around a little bit, uh, who are obviously decent players, but you know the sum of parts at those clubs was just not, not quite what was required. I think it also depends as well the, the type of club because like I'll just talk on Wolves like it takes a specific type of player to join Wolves and actually that's player. yeah yeah like in the last yeah, eighteen months yeah. alone Wolves have signed three players and within six months they've gone because they yeah. weren't either playing or they didn't actually fit the system. So like right. well I can I can kind of see. Come to Wolves and play. If Wolves don't play a, a three-five-two and have a three in the middle, and you'd be able to sit in front and almost play the ten role in front of Matinho and Neves. Yeah. yeah. But apart from that, like it's hard to say because it takes a certain type of player. And same thing with um with Liverpool right now. Like it takes mm-hmm. a certain type of player to be able to fit the system. Uh, Solskjaer has done some decent things right now, especially the last year, his full, first full year. Like Fernandez perfect player to fit the system that United are looking to do and play in it and it's shown so like to find those like for like players and at the back of your mind you're also thinking they'll just come back from a relegated team they look do they look that good in a poor team because they're a bit better or are they actually right. that much better right so it's like are, are, is that person actually really that good because um, I mean, there's a lot to be to be said about those players. As well, I'm not not saying they're not good players, but are they actually that good? Is when you put an average player with a poor, let's take Norwich for example. Norwich were poor all season. Cantwell was pretty decent all year round and pretty consistent good. Was he that much better than everyone else? And is he is he as good as everyone says he is? Because right. you put him around that a group of another ten players that are poor, he's going to look a lot better. I think he was. I think he was clearly better than almost everyone, except for Puki at the beginning. Um, Cantwell was was good throughout. Definitely, the definitely season, better. Not, for not sure. just here and there. Definitely better for sure. Uh, I just wonder how good of a player he truly is. Yeah. Um, right. Like you put it, you put him in a Chelsea team right now. You put him in an Arsenal team right now. Liverpool, team, even Wolves, any of our teams right now. Even if you take the likes of Spurs or, or Sheffield United. Mm-hmm. Is he gonna right. be as consistent and good as he was in that yeah. in that Norwich team? You'd definitely be interested to see. Well, you know, right. if you if you put Cantwell across from Pulisic or Bombing, I think they're elevated instantly just with the players that would that, that would be around them. How much more freedom they would have? I yeah, think you see that. I, w- I would actually like to see that, but I don't think obviously I don't think any of the te- top four teams will probably get him. I was gonna say, well, it goes one of two ways, right? Like either they're elevated because the players around them are obviously like higher quality, or they can't meet the level of expectation and, and pressure put on them to perform in a team like that. Sure. Uh, you yeah. know, because 
you know, yeah, maybe, yeah, they look good playing for Norris, kind of like Reese is saying, you know, but does he look good just because he's that much better than, you know, the sum of parts around him at Norwich, you know, so he looks, you know, like this strong player and then you move him and then, you know, now all of a sudden he's only, you know, the, the fourth or fifth best midfielder, you know, at, at another club that maybe has a higher standard. I mean, you know, it's, it's tough to say. And I mean, obviously that's what scouts are for, right. And stuff is to, is to go and kind of figure those things out. But I think it's hard to tell when, you're literally, you know, and, and obviously we see a lot of these guys a lot more sparingly because we primarily watch the games that our club plays. And so we might see them, you know, twice a year or maybe, you know, in passing, you know, a couple of games here and there, you know, as we're watching on a Saturday morning or whatever, and you're, you know, you throw on whatever game happens to be on. Uh, but I, I mean, I think it can be really tough to kind of get a good read for what, you know, for what they actually can do. So that's think- fair. We got ten minutes left. I think we'll we'll wrap it up. But everyone, I want to answer realistically: where who yes. wins the league next year, and who, where does your team finish if it's not winning the league? And I'll start oh, since my team did oh, win the man. league. <laughs> and I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's Chelsea who win the league. I think Liverpool get third. Um, and I'll say real quick because I think Chelsea is the only team that has the ability to go make big changes. And I. From what I've seen, I feel like Frank has the ability to take those players, mix them up with the youth. I mean, he was pretty good, I believe, at Der- Derby. He's at Derby before. Um, yeah. I think he has that ability. Now, I just, I mean, that's just a, a random thought I thought. You know, I think Liverpool finishes third. Uh, maybe gut-wrenching. I think they finished the Champions League uh, spot, but I don't think they get, bring home any trophies next year. Not even an FA Cup oh. or whatever those. But Oh, man. I mean, it's just realistic because I think that I don't think Liverpool can go through two summers without growing and and compete at that level again. You know, I I would love right. that to happen, but on the on the realistic side, I'm not sure if it will. Yeah, no. that's fair. Who else got? I, I actually, <laughs> I actually think that Liverpool, uh, depending on what signings, I I think they should still get first. I think Chelsea. I think second. Although, if Chelsea somehow get O'Block, I think they, I think they get first. Just, I think that he's that good. Um, but uh, I think Liverpool should still be number one, Brian. Just based off what I we're mean, saying. I would love it, but I've been following them for sixteen years, and I'm not sure that's that's <laughs> realistic. <laughs> that's I, fair. I, agree. I think Liverpool should be favorites going into next season. And it's up to everybody else to see if they can catch up and figure their own problems out. Man City, can they figure out the defensive issues? Or uh, Man United, can they score enough goals to really challenge for the title? They kept out enough goals, but can they can they score and can they win the big games that they need to win? Um, I see us finishing maybe second or maybe third again would be would be optimistic of me. I think Chelsea is another step up. They have a lot of uh, big signings that I think are going to take them close to the Liverpool level if not yeah right at that same yeah. top of the league kind of level um uh yeah I mean I would say Liverpool are favorites I mean like Brian kind of like you said when you were talking about them like your your depth and ability to rotate is probably your biggest question mark but I think that all of the other teams that are kind of near the top have larger question marks and you know in kind of like more areas you know, so where a lot of these teams, like I mean, you could you could you could argue that United, Chelsea, uh, City, and 
Arsenal all have big questions at the back, um, you know, which is going to be a problem. So even if you can score goals, you know, how can you keep out enough to, to realistically be consistent enough to get top spot? So that's where I think Liverpool gets the edge. They have fewer question marks probably across the field in terms of their starting 11. Um, you know, and for, you know, for a team like Wolves, their biggest question mark is going to be how can they, you know, improve their, improve this on the squad that, you know, on the squad that they have in some of those, in some of those roles uh, for Arsenal. I mean, I think probably somewhere four to fourth to sixth. you know, I would say fourth is probably high end for us. Uh, sixth, you know, maybe even, you know, down to seventh again would be, would be low end. I think it, it really depends on how much backing, Arteta gets to, to bring in some of the guys that he needs. Early indications are that he'll get some support, and if that's the case, I mean, the reality is is the league is getting a lot tighter, you know, uh, uh, at least at the top. Even though Liverpool won the league by a large margin this year, the gaps between all those teams, and you look at teams like Leicester and Wolves who are coming up, you know, who are building, you know, uh, not just great squads, but have great chemistry who have a clear style of play, you know, with coaches that are, are really like, you know, putting an imprint on, onto the club's DNA and stuff. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be, it's going to be harder and harder to qualify for champions league and, and, and then even Europa league. And so I think that the margin for error is going to shrink a lot. So, I mean, I would say somewhere between fourth and sixth for us is probably a reasonable ask next year. Uh, but like the other guys, I would say Liverpool is probably favorites to win the league just about yeah I'm on the same as everyone else there I think there's not many leagues in the world where the reigning champions don't go in as favourites for the following season mm-hmm. I mean it's pretty hard not to do that it takes some serious amount of power for a, for a team not to win the league and then all of a sudden become the favourites to do so uh, the following season um, I'm with Cody as well in terms of the league itself it's becoming tighter and tighter um, I mean, I remember growing up as a kid, it was you can predict the top four, you can predict the top six, mm-hmm. then everyone else, it's all game, and you can pretty much predict the bottom six. Yeah. Uh, where over the last couple of years, Spurs come into play, um, City come into play, and then obviously Leicester have their season, um, and all of a sudden now we're looking in where Wolves were pushing, Leicester again were pushing, Sheffield United were pushing. Um, it's hard. I Honestly, I actually had a conversation with my friend the other day. Next season is going to be probably the closest, I believe. Because we haven't spoken enough about Sheffield United and what they did. Yes, they dipped off, Absolutely. but they got the injuries. Leeds yeah. coming up this year, I think Leeds are going to be an unbelievable team. Just like how Wolves and Sheffield United have come up, and what they've done in the Championship this past year is unreal. Their their yeah. coach has done some amazing things. Very experienced coach, and they've got some some money behind them. It sounds like. Um, I was going to say Burnley money and history. Players will want to go to Leeds, right? Because of because yeah. of the history there. Yeah. Big time. Uh, Burnley again. They, they they weren't they were quiet, but they they were only they were only a couple of points behind Sheffield United and Arsenal. Um, I was going to say they always sneak I, into that top half. Yeah, honestly, I honestly think we'll see pretty much one of the most competitive top ten in the Premier League in a in in, in Premier League history. Um, yeah. As for Wolves, I'd like to see him competing again for top seven. Is it doable? I think so. Um, especially with what they've been able to achieve this past couple of years. And as I said earlier on, us not being in, in, in a European competition as of right now might also be a blessing for us to be able to manage that more. Sure. Well, and I think, you're, I, I think you guys are in an interesting position, Reese, because I think you're going to be okay either way. So if you were to, 
you know, it, to somehow win Europa League and get that giant influx of, of cash in, you know, I think that Wolves will, will give Nuno the help that he needs to help strengthen the squad. Or if you don't make it, like you said, I don't think you guys will see a, a serious amount of turnover, especially with your top end players. And that'll just put you in a position to make a push like you did this year, you know, where, where you're, you know, where you're really competing on the, on the Premier League front first and foremost and pushing those top teams, especially. Uh, real quick, I just want to say it was uh, actually fun watching Burnley after the restart because what Sean Dice did is pretty amazing with all those injuries. I think, um, you know, they're letting go of some of the older guys, and he just kept throwing guys in there, and they just kept winning and getting points. 1-0 here, 2-1 there, and, and he got, what, 10th, I believe. So uh, that, that was actually fun to watch for me. Agreed. That it's it's nice to see the EPL is more exciting. I mean, I feel like it used to be like the defensive league. You know, everyone wants to be like stout English defenders going in there, hard, tackling hard, and it's becoming more of a you know flowing, moving forward game, finding feet, being yeah. creative. You know, and mm-hmm. I think I mean, I think TV rights and stuff that has a lot to do with that with the money coming oh, in. Absolutely. But um, it's it's just it does it does make it more entertaining and more stressful at the same time. Yeah, true. <laughs> so. Anybody else have anything to say about to wrap it up? No, but maybe we do this again in like a few weeks right before the restart. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. I think uh, it's good to yeah. hear. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening to Bebop in Time. Um, we'll be around soon, I'm sure. Uh, thanks to the guys who came in and, and stuck around for two hours while we talked about soccer. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have a good day, boys. Appreciate it. Bye, guys. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Bye. Bye. See you.